All right, Luke chapter 2, verse 21. And when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said to the law, in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the con con consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it, happened, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the, ch the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel for a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end, to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fasting, fastings and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth. The child continued to grow and become strong and increase, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And Father, we do thank you again for this day. We thank you for your word. We ask that you would lead us now as we look at this story, this portion of uh, Jesus's life, and we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. Okay, so as we continue, we're kind of like easing into Luke, these for me, these first couple of chapters are so familiar because it's like the Christmas story and we see the life of Christ and they, they seem to be sort of um, just kind of sharing what happened early on that it's hard to sort of see like the significance of things. However, in this account, Luke is one of the only or is the only of the Gospels who gives sort of these little snapshots of Jesus's life before he began his earthly ministry. Uh, we see... Uh, you know, last week he was born, which everybody covers. This week we see the first eight days, his circumcision. We fast forward to basically 40 days when he's dedicated at the temple. 
And then next week, we'll see when he's 12 years old back at the temple, sort of taking care of business on his own. So we have these, these three quick little snapshots of, uh, of Jesus's life. And it really, I think, in, in large part is a picture of just seeing God fulfill his prophecy. We see sort of the, the picture of these people outside of Jesus's life uh, walking faithfully in obedience. And in the midst of that, God is doing something really just spectacular. And so in verse 21, we read, when eight days had passed, so from his birth, eight days had passed before his circumcision. So we're getting sort of this, this, this snapshot of where we are. So eight days had gone along, and eight days the child would be circumcised, but Luke's telling us this is right before his circumcision, so the circumcision hasn't happened yet. His name was then called Jesus. So they named him before the circumcision. They named him Jesus. And then we're told the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And so all of this has to do with sort of what his parents are doing and what I see in a word that throughout this today's story that keeps sort of jumping out at me and in my mind is obedience. We see the obedience of his parents. We see the obedience of this, this older man. And then we see the obedience of Anna as, as they're walking with God. And so here we just see the obedience of, of the parents. Jesus was born under the law. He lived according to the law, meaning the Old Testament law, the thing that we don't, uh, we're not really subjected to anymore. But here Jesus is, in order to fulfill the requirements of the law, his parents are acting in obedience. He's born, they take him, they were told by the angel before he was conceived that you're to name this child Jesus, and they do that, they're going to take him, he's going to be circumcised, because that's what the law told them to do. And so he's named Jesus, or Joshua, which means salvation or Savior. And verse 22, when the days of their purification, and when the days for their purification, this is 33 days after Jesus' birth, according to the law of Moses, were completed. They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And so this is, they're going from uh, Bethlehem. It's a short little hop up the hill to Jerusalem. So they moved a short way up to Jerusalem, and they're to present him to the Lord. And so Luke informs us that the reason that they're doing this, in verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So right here in this section, we see according to the law of the Lord three times, it's going to appear in the next section again. So we see this over and over again in this section. The Bible says this, and the parents did that. And we see their obedience. We see them living according to the law in Leviticus chapter 12. It gives all of the stipulations for, for what was to happen after a child was born, if it was a male, there were certain things that had to happen. If there was a female, then there was another set of conditions which had to happen. And once those things were sort of complete, like the time for the mom to heal, then they would go through and do the various dedication processes. And we see all of this happening in Jesus's life by the work of the parents. And God, I believe, is happy with uh, not necessarily the acts of what they're doing, but the condition of their heart that they're faithfully serving, they're being obedient to what God says by faith. And then in verse 25, 
there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. So now we're introduced to this man. The Bible doesn't say a whole lot about this man. What we know about this man is found in these verses. And we're told that this man was righteous, and he was devout, and he was looking for the consolation of Israel. So he's, he's righteous, he's right before God, he's devout, he was faithfully going about all of the things that he needed to do. He was looking for the Messiah to come to bring about sort of healing to the nation of Israel and basically the world. And we're told that the Holy Spirit was upon him. So the Holy Spirit being upon a believer is very different uh, prior to Acts chapter 2 and Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, we're told that when a person comes to Christ, that the Spirit of God descends upon the individual, seals the individual, and is with the individual. In the Old Testament, the people who walked with God, the Spirit would come and, and sort of indwell a person, do the work that needed to be done, and then the Spirit could depart from the individual, even though the, the individual didn't necessarily do anything wrong or, or right, that the Spirit came and then departed. And so here we're told that this man, Simeon, that the Spirit of God was upon him. And it's interesting that the word Simeon means to hear or to listen. And so this man, apparently, I think it's indicated that he had the, the ear to hear that soft, gentle, silent voice of God that nudged him along. And as the Spirit of God spoke to him and led him, he listened and he responded in obedience. And so the Spirit is upon him, and we're told that it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, this is, this is a fascinating thing to consider. Here's this man. God has been silent for 400 years at this point. There hasn't been prophets moving and working. Malachi ended, and everything just sort of came to a standstill from, a, from what had appeared from the people of Israel. And then this man is going about his business. He's, he's just being faithful going through the things that he's supposed to do before God. And the Holy Spirit says, hey, you're an old guy, and the Messiah is close. And you're going to see the Messiah before you depart. What a, what, a, what a promise. Like This is just beautiful. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he, he had seen the Lord Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. So I don't know how this goes. I don't know what happened. I wasn't there. I wasn't this guy. It doesn't give us more information. But I, I have had moments where I felt like, you know what, you're supposed to do this, Gunner. And I wasn't necessarily told that this is the Spirit of God speaking of me. And it's like, okay, this seems weird, but I'm going to move forward and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this thing. And then in hindsight, you realize like the significance of the thing that you're, you felt like you were supposed to do. There's sort of like confirmation. And so I don't know if, if he had this small, gentle voice of this nudge, like, hey, you need to go to the temple. You're about to see something overwhelming, unbelievable. You're going you're gonna to see and experience the Messiah. And when the parents brought the child, brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law. So now we've seen this. This is the fourth time the custom of the law, the thing of the law, like the law says this and they're supposed to do this. Here Jesus is, something that we say all the time in Christian circles sort of concerning our salvation and 
our access to God is brought to us by the perfect sacrifice of Christ, that he went to the cross, he was sacrificed for our sins through God's grace, our faith, we can receive a relationship with God because he obeyed the law perfectly. But here in these early moments, he can't fulfill the law on his own accord. And we read that his parents are carrying out for him the custom of the law. Something about this is just beautiful to me. So here, Mary and Joseph, this young couple, uh, obviously we know the circumstances of the relationship. Uh, Joseph, we know, is not the biological father. He had confirmation from the angel. The angel has told Mary, we spent this on Christmas season, sort of celebrating the birth of Christ. And here they are going in the temple. They know the things that have to be done for this child to be obedient according to the law. And so as they walk into the temple, verse 28, we kind of go back to the store. It's like this, this scene between Simeon and the scene between the parents. And so Simeon's spoken to by the angel. He goes to the temple. He's anticipating the Messiah. Mary and Joseph, first-time parents, they don't have a clue about dedicating a child. They're just like walking in a temple, and all of a sudden this old guy comes and takes their, their kid. This is like what, this is what happens. Then he, that Simeon, took him, Jesus, into his arms. And so I don't know how this goes, but I mean, like if you're like a sweet old person, like a grandfatherly figure, you can get away with murder with a little kid. Like, oh, I'm just going to take your kid. Like this is, uh, he takes him into his arms and he blessed God and he said, he recognizes right away by the Spirit's leading who this baby Jesus at 40 days old was. And he says, now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace. So he's going to give this prayer. The first part is sort of concerning himself. He, he recognizes what he's seen. He's seen the baby Jesus. He's seen the Messiah of Israel. At this part in his life or this point in his life, he has absolute peace to depart and to go be with God. And then he's going to continue. He's going to continue and he's going to speak towards the nation Israel. I did cut him off a little bit early, but according to your word, sort of relates to the promise that he was given that he would not see death before the coming of the Messiah. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and to the glory of your people, Israel. So he sees this child. He praises God for the promise that God has fulfilled in his own life. He praises God for the fulfillment of his promise concerning the salvation of all peoples, both Gentiles and Jews alike. He understood the significance of this moment, and he is praising God for what he has done. Now we go back to Mary and Joseph, this young couple that had their kid taken away from them, from this old guy that's now thanking God for these promises. They, they know the promises they received, but they haven't done this before. They're, they're breaking new territory for what's it like to raise the Messiah. And they're sitting back going, what is, like, not what's going on, but this is just so overwhelming to take in this. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him, that's Jesus. And Simeon blessed them, mom and dad, and he said to Mary, his mother, behold, 
This child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So he talks about what the child has been appointed to do, that he's his coming Messiah, that it's going to be good and it's also going to be hard. That he's going to come and, and Jesus is often referred to as a sword. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 36, Jesus says this, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I came to set man against his father and daughter, daughter against her mother and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the enemies or will be the members of his own household. So he recognizes that as Jesus goes forth into the world, that there are people who are going to believe and there are going to be people who reject. And so for a person to receive this child as their savior, that doesn't necessarily mean that their life is going to fill, be filled with, with uh, nice, soft, gentle things, you know, the, the prosperity gospel. It could come with things that are very difficult for standing and walking with the Messiah. And he looks at at Mary, and he says, this sword will pierce even your soul. And he looks at young Mary, and he says, this child is going to cause you great pain. And one of the movies a few years ago that I thought really captured this, I'm, of course, I should have written it down, uh, Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ, I think, is that should be pretty easy to remember that name of that movie. But there's that scene as Jesus is like carrying the cross to go be crucified, and they show Mary get this glimpse of Jesus carrying the cross. And in this scene, he kind of like trips and stumbles. And then it, the, the movie script flips in Mary's mind to when Jesus was a little toddler and he stumbled and he fell and she like ran as a mother. Like Jesus is the Messiah. He's going to go to the cross. And on the Catholic end of the spectrum where they venerate Mary, we as Protestants tend to, like we definitely push back but, but there can be a propensity that we push back too far and not recognize what this, this woman went through. Like, Jesus, of course, was her savior as well. But she was his mom. And to see the things that Jesus would go through, I can only imagine what that is like for a mother to go through this. And Simeon understood that what she was entrusted with was going to cause her great pain. Then we're introduced to Anna, verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. So she's kind of laid out so you don't confuse her with my wife. Uh, it's, this is not my Anna. This is Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She's a godly woman. She's from the, the northern tribe of Israel. Uh, she was advanced in years. And had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. So she lived with her husband for seven years. She got married. She lived with her husband for seven years. And you think, well, why did she stop living with her husband? Because then, and, and then as a widow to the age of 84, so she, at seven years into her marriage, her husband died and she became a widow. At that point in her life, and until the age of 84, she were told that she never left the temple serving night and day with fasting and prayers. So her husband dies, 
We, that's, this is all we know. We don't know if she had kids. It, it, it doesn't seem that she had kids or family that could care for her. Her husband died. She goes to the temple and she begins serving God and she basically consecrates her life to the service of God in the temple with fasting and with prayer. So she's praying for the nation of Israel. She's praying for the people she knows. We're told that her life was marked by fastings. And I love what John Piper says about fasting. He says that the birthplace of Christian fasting is homesickness for God. It is an intensifier of spiritual desire. It is a faithful enemy of fatal bondage to innocent things. It is a physical exclamation point at the end of one sentence, this much, O God, I long for you and for the manifestation of the glory in your world. So we're told that her life, she's fasting, she's abstaining from food so that she could focus more intently on God. This is a really special lady whose life is marked by faith and is marked by obedience, fully surrendered to God. And as this story sort of unfolds, I love that we're getting an age smattering of all people. Like from, from little Jesus, we're going to see that he grows strong in the Lord and he continues to walk and grow in maturity. We see his parents who are on the younger end of the spectrum, whose life was marked by faithful, faithfulness, obedience, looking forward to the things that God is doing. And now we come to Simeon and Anna on the other end of the spectrum, way past retirement, still walking faithfully and obediently with God. The Christian life isn't for a set age. It's from birth until death that we walk and honor God with our lives. And so she, at that very moment, verse 38, at that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him, that's Jesus, to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. So she sees this scene. She begins to thank God. She's speaking about the Messiah and his arrival. This is a beautiful scene. And when they performed everything according to the law, again, obedience, verse 39, everything that the law had asked them to do, they did in obedience by faith. And then we're told that they returned to Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth. So, so Luke kind of just sort of like skips a little scene. If you, know the, if you know the story from the other gospels, you'll go like, wasn't there a little like, you know, a little excursion to, to Egypt? And there was, but Luke sort of leaves it out. Between verses 38 and 39, uh, if you were, we were to go over to Matthew, chapter 2, verses, uh, you can go over there, verses 19, we would read, but when Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Remember, Herod was this like crazy, hungry guy for power. He heard that this king had come because of the, th the three kings that came into Israel or the three wise men. And so he goes to a little town. He kills all of the young boys uh, to basically any potential, potential threat to his kingdom as king, he eliminated and so when this was going out, he was warned. They were warned as a family. They quickly went down to Egypt, and they lived down in Egypt. And this is where in Matthew chapter 2, verse 19, we picked up. But when Herod died, the guy who killed all the little babies, 
An angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Egypt, for those who sought the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and he came to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea and the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned by God in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee and came and lived in a city called Nazareth. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. So that's sort of like the, the filling in the, piece, the, the puzzle pieces that uh, he goes from Jerusalem down to Egypt. And then after some time in Egypt, they returned up to Nazareth where he would continue to grow and they would continue to make these journeys uh, to Jerusalem. Verse 40, we read, the child continued, continued to grow and to become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So we saw the first eight days, he was named, circumcised. 33 days later, they go to the temple. He was consecrated to God. Next week, we're going to pick up at, at when he's 12 years old. But between 40 days and 12 years old, what the Bible documents about Jesus is that he grew physically. He got bigger. He got stronger physically. And he continued to grow spiritually and that the grace of God was upon him. So what do we do with this passage? We're at the end of the year. Um, I do think it's, it's a good time. It's a good day for us to sort of take stock about this year. Like I understand for some of us, 2023 was a very tough year. We can go through hard times, the loss of loved ones. As I look out, I see like, like, like many of us have lost loved ones. I lost my dad, and I lost her mom. We just lost Julie, Diane's sister, passed away a couple days ago. Brian lost his dad. Like a lot of us have really suffered really difficult things this year. And when I look at, at the story of Christ and the things that we know about him, we can go through difficult times and we can still come to him and praise him and say, thank you, God, for the time I had with my loved person. Thank you for the, the things that you've done for me, the difficult things I've gone through. It shaped me and molded me into the person who I am or who I'm becoming in Christ. And I just give you thanks for this. I see the life of Mary and Joseph and Simeon and Anna that their life was just marked by faithfulness and obedience to God. Their lives were not easy. When the New Testament speaks of these people during this time, the people of the first advent who are longing for the Messiah, his first coming, we see that their lives were marked with just obedience. And we are people like them who are waiting for the second advent of Christ. And I believe that God wants our lives to be marked with faithfulness and obedience just like their lives were. You say, well, we're not under the Old Testament law. Yeah, you're not required to go have your little baby boy circumcised on the eighth day. Whether you do that or not, you have freedom to do that. You don't have to go to the temple. You don't, there's a whole bunch of things that we don't have to do. But the New Testament, there's a whole lot of things that we are commanded to do as followers of Christ. Uh, you can study this week on your own Colossians chapter. I was just going to read Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. And then I ended up pasting like 17 verses. And then I cut out a middle section. But Colossians 3, great chapter to look at. In verse 1, it says, Therefore, 
If you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above. There's a command. So we as followers of Christ, we've been instructed to seek the things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your mind, again, something we're supposed to do, to set our minds on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will be revealed with him in glory. Verses 5 through 7, or 5 through 11, I'm going to chop out. These are things that we're supposed to stop doing, things that we're supposed to cut out of our life, cut out of our flesh, things that we're not supposed to do as followers of Christ. Then in verse 12, so as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on the heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Colossians chapter 3 is a chapter you could wake up every day this year and read and say, Lord, help me to do this. My prayer is that our lives would be marked with faithfulness, with obedience, with love, that we would serve God this year, growing closer to him. And what we're going to do as we end today, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. The first part of the Lord's Supper is, is a time of reflection, a time to confess our sins, to confess things that are uh, barriers, hindrances between us and God. I always say that if you're struggling to think of anything, you can just put pride right in there, and uh, he'll show you uh, areas that you can confess. So the team that passes out the elements is going to come forward. They're going to pass them out. Just take them and hold them, and then we'll take them at the end. And Father, we do thank you for the forgiveness that's found in Christ. We thank you that we don't have to wait um, you know, for, for New Year's Eve to, to clean our, our slate. Um, we thank you, Lord, that we can come to you just moment by moment, hour by hour, and confess our sins to you. We thank you that you are faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us. We thank you, Lord. Uh, that you are a, a gentle and merciful God. I pray this in Christ's good name. Um, so communion is something that the Bible talks about that we're supposed to do, sort of this, as often as we partake in it, it's something that the Lord instituted on the night which he was uh, crucified. And there's just a handful of elements that each time we come to it, there's some key points. The first one we just did, it's a time for us to sort of... Uh, be confronted with like who God is in light of who we are. And in this life, as Christians, we're, we're simply saved sinners. We, we have the spirit of God within us. We have the flesh within us. They're at odds with one another. We, we stumble. We miss the mark. 
we fail, as we walk with God, we grow, we, grow, we grow closer to Him, we become more like Him, but we also become more aware of how holy He is. And so even, I, you know, I heard one man say that our, as we get older in our relationship with the Lord, our little sins become big sins because we become sort of more keenly aware of who He is. And so taking the Lord's Supper, it's a time for us to sort of be uh, the, the building blocks of our faith. It's a time for us to confess, to get right with God as we hold, you know, a, a, a gluten-free cracker in our hand. We're kind of reminded of, of like Jesus's body. And so the cracker is to remind us that, hey, I can't earn my own salvation. There's nothing I can do to get right with God on my own accord. All I can do is bring my sin to the table, and that separates, free, separates me from God. But holding the cracker, we're reminded that God promised his Messiah, his son would come back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And now in Matthew or Luke, all the gospels, as we read about the birth of Christ, we see that the Messiah has come. In today's story, we see that even before, as a little child, before he could do what he was called to do, his parents acted on his behalf. They brought him, they allowed him to live according to the law that from day one, he fulfilled the law. And then as he uh, was able to function on his own, he came, he lived under the law perfectly. He never sinned. And then ultimately, he went to the cross. And because of his perfect life, because of his deity, he can go to the cro cross, sacrifice himself, and be a sacrifice for all, once and for all. And that leads us to the, the, the juice that we have in the little cup. It's a reminder of the blood that Hebrews speaks of, this eternal covenant, this once and all sacrifice. We don't have to continue going and confessing to, to earn our salvation again. Jesus paid for our sins once and for all, and through his blood, we are secure in him. And so we drink the juice to remember and to be reminded of the blood which has given us this new everlasting relationship with him. There is nothing that we did to earn our salvation. There's nothing that we can do to lose our salvation. Our salvation is secured because of the body and the blood of Christ. Our salvation was given to us by grace. We respond by faith alone. Once we believe, we're sealed by the Spirit and we're secure. And within 1 Corinthians chapter 11, there's another element of communion that's so often overlooked. As we take communion, we're reminded that God has given us the commission of the Great Commission. As Debbie put it on our shoulders, that we have 26 years to save the whole world. No, I'm just, but, but I do think her, her challenge of like, can you just think about one person this year to pray for one? Well, that's a little bit more manageable. What happens beyond that or even with the one person? But that our hearts should be burdened for those that don't have Christ. And I think that this seems to indicate that we as Christians should have actual relationships, meaningful relationships with those that don't know Christ so that our hearts will be burdened for them, so that we would live our lives in a way that our life shares Christ, that we would actually use words. We're called to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so as we take the Lord's Supper today, uh, these are the things. We confess, we remember his broken body, the blood of the everlasting covenant. We're reminded that as he departed, he left us with this great responsibility of sowing seed, scattering the word, 
letting people know that there's a way that they can get right with God. Let's pray, and we're going to take communion. Father, we do thank you again for this day. We pray, Father, that as we enter into the new year, that you would help us to grow more disciplined in our relationship with you, that we would be faithful, that we would be obedient. Father, I pray that you would help us to hear the Spirit's small voice, Lord, as this man Simeon did, that when we miss the mark and we feel your conviction, we pray that we would be quick to confess our sin, to repent, to be restored to you. Father, we pray that you would help us to grow in our understanding of this relationship that we have with you, that it's secured by your grace and by your mercy, not because of our own performance, our own deeds. And we thank you for that. We thank you for the freedom in that. I pray, Father, that our lives would be marked by worship of you, that we would live for you faithfully, obediently, that when we come to the end of our days, we would hear your voice tell us, well done, my good and faithful servant. We love you, Father, and we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.